Right, let's get the beat down on Bogner. Here we go, mind. Every time, it's like I'm not allowed to enjoy the rage and splendor of Judith Chalmers. While drunkards cast their pods about all sat on squeaking chairs, producer Ken's red pen came out to underline their swears. Fear not, said he, your facts are wrong and don't quite do you credit. But all your rambling all day long will wash out in the edit. And so it came for all to pass, the final mix was done. By prod can sitting on his ass with Tesco value wrong. <coughs> Shit. Dear listener, you if, if you were in the room, you'd see one man studiously playing the piano, while two other middle-aged men grin like fucking idiots. Anyway... For the benefit of the listener, the word spelk... <laughs> Splinter. <laughs> everyone, everyone, knows, be, so everyone knows what spelk means. No, they, they don't. Do. No. The man that was hung like a French stick, apparently, you know. <laughs> he made the front of the TV Times... Lionel Blair and father at 52. Exit! Stage left! Hiya, all right. Hello and welcome to another Christmas episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr. Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here because we all want figgy pudding. So bring some out here. Now. Joining us tonight... <laughs> now, exactly. I'm not waiting about. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us tonight is a man with the largest collection of Bobby Crush merchandise in Norfolk. Yes, it's Mr. Ozzy Bognops. So good. Good evening, gentlemen. Ah, hello, hello. Are you all right? Oh, box of fluffies, gentlemen. And yourselves? Well, you know, we're cracking on. Getting that. Over to you, Blackout. Hello to you all, and thank you for dropping into our casual Christmas critique of festive television, where Britain's best love battle axe is never far from the crackers, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you go over to PeggyMountPod.com, info for the episode we're discussing is in the show notes, you can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or ask us how we haven't finished the gin yet. And before we three words, first word sounds like part, second word, small one starts with T, third word, two syllables, first syllable sounds like the last part of a prehistoric monument in Wiltshire, second syllable is the multiple form of an alcoholic spirit in three letters, gentlemen. I've got to ask, what are we drinking? You know, it's still Christmas. <laughs> it is. I'm drinking Shavodi Vodi. The hell? Shavodi Vodi. Uh-huh. A taste of 1950s nostalgic vodka in a glass... Flavoured with a hint of essence of rock bun liqueur. If he asks you to go under the moon of love, decline. No, <laughs> it's all the way from under the distillery of love. There you go. You? Well, of course, you see, it gets to this point. Port! <laughs> it does. Uh-huh. That cork had a, had a disturbing sound effect. <laughs> it did. It's not the first time it's been out. 
And Mr. Blackout? Speaking of out, I've got a bottle of Grumpy Santa by the Cottage Delight Brewery in Staffordshire. <laughs> Don't do that, you make a spirit all over myself. <laughs> oh, Grumpy Santa. Marvellous, marvellous. Is it bitter? Well, wouldn't you be? Yeah, you got a point. Yeah. Right, on to tonight's party game and a seasonal version of charades glittering with a cast of questionable status. But somehow, they just seem right at home. Michael Aspel takes the chair as he asks the people to give us a clue. He's wasting his time, though. I bet Claude Rogers knows the whack. Yes, Give Us a Clue was the massively popular game show devised by Vince Powell and Juliet Grimm, produced by Thames Television, which aired on ITV from 1979 to 92 for 16 series over 322 episodes. Per series? Put simply, this is, of course, televised charades, with three men playing against three women, where the nominated turntaker has to mime out the title of a book, song, film or play to their team members while they guess what the hell it could all mean. If time runs out without a correct answer, then the opposing team gets a chance to steal a point and all things escalate from there. We have watched the Christmas special episode from 1979, which lands on the 24th of December, right in the middle of Series 2, directed, if you can call it that, by Ian Bolt. Hosted as usual by Sir Michael Aspel, with Golden Era team captains Sir Lionel Blair and Sir Una Stubbs, a cavalcade of guests includes, but is not limited to, Baron Spike Milligan, Viscount Kenneth Williams, and just because it's Christmas, the lord of all mistletoe himself, Russ Abbott. God help us, everyone. So, did we watch this? I mean, not this particular episode, but was Give Us a Clue event viewing? Absolutely. Yes. Same here. This, yeah, this was a, a go-to in our house, always an enjoyable watch. And with the exception of what we're about to see today, always suitable for the entire family. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was just. It was a. It was a nice little hug. This. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to think about it. You just sat there and enjoyed the show. And pretty much anyone could play along as well. Even though, obviously, as a kid, I had pretty much no references to the titles that they were trying to mime out. And as I yeah. watch this now, I still don't fucking know half of them. Oh uh, yeah, I I knew quite a lot. I used to sit there like the geek that I was, uh, hoping that Doctor Who would be one of the ones they had to mime to. Yeah. That was just how my mind worked. Uh-huh. Um, they had a bit of a Doctor Who episode uh, during the 80s. I believe John Pertwee, Peter Davison and somebody else was on the, um, we're on the men's team with Lionel. But um, yeah, anyway, I digress. Let's go right to the start of this episode and the theme music and perhaps not the theme music that everyone automatically associates with this particular programme. True. Aussie Bognops, I will not tread on your trumpet here. Take it away. Oh, fuck. Take two. <laughs> that stays in. <laughs> no, it fucking doesn't. <laughs> Now you see, the listener is going, oh, they've got that wrong, they're shit. <laughs> oh, they'd be right if they'd heard take one. <laughs> but that was indeed the theme tune 
to the first few series of Give Us a Clue. Am I right, Oz? You are indeed, although it wasn't the same recording as was used by something across the way on the other side um, related to school. Um, it was a far more conventional... You can say grain chill, it's not a rude yeah, word. In the 70s you couldn't. You'd lose your job at the BBC if you mentioned ITV, the imposters. This is very true. So, you know, I was trying not to. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was just trying to... You know, they made it... Alan Hawkshaw made it a bit more conventional with a tuba and a few other live instruments. And whilst it feels unusual, it is in no way representative of the graphics that are going with it. This Christmas, make it a bit more conventional with a tuba. Yeah, but no sleigh bells. No sleigh bells. <laughs> you mention you mentioned the graphics. Now, to me, that is a cartoon depiction of what goes through the minds of our listener whilst listening to our podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. That, either that or am I watching Ask the Family or am I watching Give Us a Clue? <laughs> well, yeah. Beggymanpod.com. Have a look in the show notes. Click on the link. Get it watched. You know the drill. Let's indulge a little bit, since you've got the the, the Joanna out. Um, the, the next season, well, you know, later in uh, the evolution of the theme tune of Give Us a Clue, what did we have next? Well, next we had Alan Braden's little effort. Dear listener, you, if, if you were in the room, you'd see one man studiously playing the piano while two other middle-aged men grin like fucking idiots. Hey, I was dancing. <laughs> I was dancing under the desk. I do not have piles. I was dancing. That was, that was superb. That was superb. Amazing. You're going to have to hold us down for the next one because, because the theme tune evolved yet again. And, I mean, we're going to get onto this because I've had a look at our review list for 2027, and it's on there. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll go into more detail then, but oh my God, brace ourselves. something <laughs> it's the chair <laughs> gentlemen gentlemen let us calm things down as we were and let's look at the show itself mind aspel cannot wait to get fucking started here he's banging through the rules no one full well did no one's listening because they're all looking presumably at his chicken oxo velvet dj I love it, I love it, I love it. And I love the fact that in a typical brace of Thames television ironic humour, even the pop shield on his mic is fucking beige. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I want that jacket. I want that jacket. I want that pop shield. I want that pop shield. I'll sell my tits for that jacket. I'm telling you now, I want it. 
But, gents, what is it about the 70s, the late 70s, and beige on television for, like, light entertainment? What is it about? It was the fashion. Even yes, the set like was shaking with cringe. I, I didn't mind it at all. <laughs> but he does appear to have a, a velvet bat trying to bite his neck alongside this uh, vision of beige loveliness. <laughs> the whole uh, combination of coffee and cream was a thing yeah, in the so. 70s. Yes. Well, because yeah. coffee tastes nicer with coffee, mate. Or beige dinner jackets if you're Michael Aspel. Uh-huh. Excuse me, the vignettes in a bauble thing I really liked. Um, oh, I did as well. But the two that things superb, that, that stood out for me, uh, apart from Eunice Stubbs, was um, the firstly that all the women's team looked absolutely identical, um, <laughs> and then Blair's, Blair's frilly shirt. I mean, hell fire! Hang on, though. You can forgive that because that suit is also incredible. It is. Lionel, can we have just a, a moment's quiet respect, dear listener? You should have watched this by now. We'll give you a heads up. A moment's quiet respect. For Lionel Blair's Braemar Green Velo suit with a frilly shirt combo. Yes. He looks fucking glorious. It really does. With a flared slack. It, a flared oh. slack. He always favoured a flared slack. Right. The contestants themselves. Who do we have? So on the women's team, we have beloved sitcom actress Paula Wilcox. Uh-huh. Erstwhile of Man About the House, of course. We then have Clodagh Rogers. Uh-huh. And her Jack in the Box. That's why she sits like that. Wearing a sign round her neck saying, I know the fucking lot, mate. Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah quite. Right. And Nairi Dawn Porter. Yeah. From the Foresight Saga. She played Bruce. Pardon? <laughs> she played Bruce. <laughs> Bruce who? <laughs> Foresight. All oh, right, of course she did. Sorry. Uh, it was the jacket. Sorry, you're quite right. No, you're thinking of the Incredible Hulk crossover where she played Brute Foresight. Yes, that's, that's right. That's right. Yes, yes. Uh, over on the on the gentlemen's team, captained by Mr. Lionel Blair, of course, we have Kenny Williams, absolutely, uh-huh. Spike Milligan, and Russ Abbott, who cannot believe his look. Yeah, yeah. So why the fuck does he appear to be the one who doesn't want to be there? Do you think? I think he's really quite dour. Now you know what we'll get onto this. Abbott is the only one actually taking the game seriously, properly playing. It's a shame on the then. men's team. On well, the yeah. men's team. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a shame, then, that he's so absolutely shit at it. He gets one idea in his head and just keeps repeating that word. And it's like, no, 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 Russ, no. It's not that. Don't say that again. And he's like, big duck, big duck, big duck. No, Russ, no, it's not. Large duck, no, <laughs> no, Russ. <laughs> Massive man. duck. No, sounds no. like man. So it's man. No, it sounds like man. No, it's fucking man. Massive man duck. No, Russ. Yes. <laughs> Play the fucking signature tune and let's get out of here. You know, exactly that. Oh, good God. Production point here. Yeah. Usually, the contestants are allowed two minutes in which to... I'm fucking... I'm glad you've got this. ...perform their part. Yes. But Aspel says, oh, we've only got a minute and a half here. And we're like, right, We're fucking pedal to the metal here, aren't we? We know it's gonna. We know it's gonna be a packed episode by the fucking speed that Aspel has done the intro. So when he says yeah. a minute and a half, what happens next? The clock appears in the screen at two minutes. Boom. Yeah. They can't Boom. be bothered to change the clock. Yep, yeah. we cannot get new on-screen graphics because everybody's pissed already. Well, I yes. think it was um, uh, intern time. I think that's what it was. Work experience guy on the clock. There's been a fucking production meeting. Someone's gone. How about, guys, we just run the clock down from two minutes, and when it gets to 30 seconds, we'll press the buzzer. 
And somehow that went through. But I, I can't help feeling that it was intern's day um, for the simple reason that at least five times during a half-hour episode, the clock appears on screen before the title they're meant to mine. Yeah. And then it disappears quickly. Yes. Like, after, after this show, that intern was just found crying in a corner and then never seen yeah. again. So in true tradition, um, the first uh, the first team captain is up and it's Eunice Stubbs. Yeah. And Michael Aspel, go, Michael Aspel gives her the title that she's supposed to mime and off she goes. Now, she wanted to depict this with three syllables. So I was expecting her to do sin... Uh, depicting something that I can't actually mention here for legal reasons. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Are we are we supposed to be saying the titles of what they're doing at the start of each sec? Let's do that. She gets Cinderella. I would. She gets Cinderella. Yeah. Which, incidentally, is four syllables, not three. Michael, have a fucking lie down. Uh, oh, we have a few yes. of these that nobody can count, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. flown very, very smooth. Again, I get the impression that this episode took about six and a half hours to film... And three and a half of those were before they even fucking started. You know what? This didn't. This is recorded as live. Everyone, so. everyone on this is hammered. This, there is no, there is no goddamn way yes. that this was twenty-five minutes of anyone's life. This took two hours. It's carnage. <laughs> it is carnage. Absolutely. Um, Cinderella. You know, I would have just gone into for that as doing the whole thing. Never mind buggering about with syllables. Um, you could be on forever, man, Una. And she nearly no, was. No, that, that's the point, though. She's not. Paula gets this after 28 seconds. Boom. Paula's not there to fuck about. The, the, wait, if you were on the girls' team, they're on fucking fire. They oh, yeah. really are. Yeah. Can I just mention something briefly about the scoreboard, which appears to be... I mean, it appears to have been designed in a warehouse. I have never uh-huh. seen numbers that big, and he controls the numbers individually. I'm not sure if he does all the time. I think that's just something they gave him on the day because the guy normally in charge of that was pissed out the back. No, he was dealing with the clock and the bloody cards. That's what he was dealing with. It's all controlled by Aspel. There's one person in the gallery. <laughs> it's James Earl Adair off watch. That's who it is. The person in the gallery has two broken arms and he's been asked to do the lot <laughs> while the rest of them are getting fucking tanked yep. in the owl and trumpet. I'm telling you now. The anglers it was. The anglers at terms. There you are. Then we go across to Lionel. It's the boy's turn and he gets Sinbad the Sailor. Fucking hell. I mean, I, I, feel, for the, I feel for the boys team with this because they do get particularly bad luck with what they're given. I think that's deliberate as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that as well. But you're like, even even if they're just like mad fucking obscure non-Christmas shit, at yep. least make it easy to fucking mine so that we might have some fun rather than watch Russ Abbott having a breakdown. And also, I mean, Spike comes up... Spike is clearly in this to be the hooligan element, the Kenny Everett, the, yes. the yep. God And I can't imagine Kenneth Williams liking that, but it seems to me that he really did. Um, I th- I thought that Spike was going to be worse than he was again because the minute you get that opening shot of him counting the money, you're just like, oh, here we go. He's going to be the wild card. No, he sort of gets into the game. He's all right. He proves within about twenty seconds why he should be a regular on this show. He has a nice balance between the anarchic exactly and tra- trying to play the game. He strikes exactly a balance. Doctor. He knows when to dial it down and let somebody else rise to the top. Unlike, yeah, say, yeah. Paul yeah. Daniels, who would just want to take over all night. Kenny Everett was on only, like, two episodes after this, and um, he was just nuts. I mean, you know, 
it's just because it's how he was as a character. And yeah. uh, yes. but Spike, I think, has the benefit of experience to know when to just back off and let others creep in. But Which basically means right. that for the half hour we're watching, Spike Milligan and Kenneth Williams are the only two people under any fucking semblance of control. On yes, the mask yes. team, yeah, indeed. <laughs> Not generally. The rest of it's just carnage. The, the the girls are on fire, but there's fucking hell on. Yeah. Lionel Blair acting the word bad is kind of like being stabbed by a bath mat. <laughs> he just kind of... Yeah, yes. He bears his bottom teeth and sort of stamps around. Oh. Like he's... I don't know, like he's got a spell. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. For the benefit of the listener, the word spelk... <laughs> Splinter. Everyone, everyone, knows, there, everyone, everyone knows what spelk means. No, they, they don't. They do. They really don't. They, they don't. Sp- Spell. Listener, if you know what spell is, well, you do now anyway. Hashtag spell. Don't write in. Just, just tweet <laughs> us. Sorry, X us with hashtag spell. Yes, Everyone do that, knows. Please. Everyone knows. Be me, then. Uh, they do now. Yes, anyway, exactly. no one gets seen by the sailor. The clock runs down. Yep. Hand it over to the girls. And Yuna's like, "Is it sin by the sailor?" Yep. One point. Bang. Then Michael's calling up Kenneth. When it's not, it's Paula Wilcox's turn. Indeed. That's right. already. What does Wilcox get? Uh, he, he finally hands over to her. She gets Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That's it. Now, do, which Claude Rogers gets in about thirteen d- nanoseconds? It, 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 I've got it written down. Eighteen seconds. Yeah. Again. Got, is it 18, again. Yeah. No, I say eighteen seconds. That's as long as it takes her to lean back and look at the fucking list of answers behind Unisub's chair. Yes, exactly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes. Written in blood, the blood of an intern. <laughs> what does it say? Ivy Pack sketchbook? Oh no, no, that's not the. Then Kenneth Williams is up doing the snow goose. What the fuck? What the fuck is the snow goose? Do people know this? Nah, well I didn't they get it pretty quickly. Um, Lionel gets it again. I'm going to be. I'm the stats man. Lionel gets it. Twenty-one seconds in, and I'm like, what the fuck is the snow goose? Yeah. Well, it was a book of play, and uh, and as famously interrupted by Spike. Aspel says, oh, it was a record, and Spike says, yes, 100 yards in 10 seconds. Yep. I mean, he's, fight- <laughs> yep. he's fighting to get this show in a slightly more anarchic place than it should be. I don't I don't mind that. I don't mind that at all. No, I don't mind it either. I love it. Because, again, it's a very sort of controlled anarchy when he's doing it. The it rest is. of it, the scenery's falling down, man. Uh, th- and we bat across to the girls' team again. Nairi Dawn Porter, and she gets puss in boots, and I thought this is going to be interesting. Yes, and so exactly. it proved to be as she got down on all fours. And the Family one thing show. she didn't think to mind was boots. Hang on, you know. Yeah. Well, I think now they've grasped that there's a Christmas theme to the titles. Well, there is on the girls' team. The, the, the yeah. lads. No, they're just getting any old random shit that they're pulling out of the fucking box. <laughs> the girls are getting pantomimes. Yes. That's fine. Uh, so she gets that. We're across there. We get Spike. Oh yes. Something, something that rhymes with speaking. Speaking. Speak, that was it. And then he's like, he's trying to shorten down the word speaking to speak, but he doesn't quite know the mind for that. So Lionel's just going, speaking, speaking, speak it. Rhymes with speaking, speaking, speaking. And he's just like, shorter, shorter, shorter. Speak, something to speak, something to speak. And he's like, no, it fucking sounds like that. So Spike does the miming of bringing down an axe to shorten the word rather than use the traditional. Um, you know, at this point, when nine minutes into the game show, the score is eleven to four. Let's see if things change when Claude Rogers gets up. Oh yes. Now, the Canterbury Tales. Now, the question that was asked was, "Is this a children's thing?" 
Now, for anybody who did the Canterbury Tales at school or has seen the the few films or the musical or mm. read the book or seen mm. the play, no, it isn't. It this never is, this will is be. the thing. It's like, we all did it at school, and I assure you, it's fucking not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. She gets it just on the nose, though, just as yeah. the time's about to right. run out. This is, this is it, mind. They get it after Tension. 90 seconds. Tension. The buzzer's going, and they're shouting, Canterbury Tales! And obviously, yeah. Aspel, who is fucking six sheets of the wind by that point, is like, yes, yes, you got that. There's another one later on where they get that 90 seconds and the buzzer doesn't go off. So you're like, well, did they get it? I, I think he's given them points for the city, giving them points. I, th- yeah. I think. I think the rules have been relaxed here. Anyway, over to the lab side. It's Russ Abbott. Indeed. And he's been given Queen of the Blues. Mind. Lionel Blair goes, Aka here. Yeah. Every synonym as as Russ Abbott affects a slightly effeminate pose. <sighs> yeah. Lionel Blair's standing there. Nancy, queer, queen. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? And it's like Rain it in. Rain it in, Lionel. This Lionel. man was a father at fifty-two. If anything is like Lionel, you of all people need to be backing that the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the man that was hung like a French stick, apparently, you know. <laughs> He made the front of the TV Times, Lionel Blair, and father at 52, and there's the band sitting there. It's like, what? That's right, listener. It's Christmas, and Ozzy's had poop. <laughs> yes. Not on enough most, yet, On a more serious note, now that we've got a full-length shot of him standing up, I have to say, Russ Abbott, white loafers, the man's still alive, so I shall say no more. But soft! A moment to take us into the commercial break. Doctor, it's over to you. Yeah, right. So they get the answer, Queen of the Blues. Kenny Williams does what he does best. Yeah. He goes off on a acerbic rant. I've heard of it. Nobody's heard Nobody's heard of that. <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? That's what that's why he's there, of course. Yes. Um But boom. A surprise visit from not only Santa, but in the words of Aspel, Lady Christmas. There, there's a first. It's yes. very fucking surprising. Because Santa, Santa Slay comes on with no introduction or pacing. It just happens before we go to the ads. Yeah. And um, what, we, what we're told is that um, Santa's bringing toys for the children's homes. Yeah. Cut to break. Abrupt. Yep. Boom. Yep. And I'll tell you, at this point, gentlemen, I could. it was quite clear to me that the second bottle of Night Nurse had taken hold. Because I, <laughs> I spent the next 20 seconds going... What did I just fucking see? Because Lady Christmas yes. quickly corrected to Mother Christmas. Before we cut to that, yes, we see two red-robed figures stepping, stumbling off the sleigh. Who, who are they going to be? Are we going to have a grand reveal? Well, the fucking studio audience are. We're not. The tension is palpable. Indeed it is. We arrive at part two. Who do we have before us? Who are, as you correctly say, Ozzy, Father and Mother Christmas. Well, they are indeed the one and only Dickie Davies and Beryl Reed. Dickie Davis looking quite the blade in his Pontins blue coat and yes. a shirt that burnt into my TV monitor. Yes, he's, he's outstanding, that man. And Beryl Reed, who appears to be dressed in a red tent. Beryl Reed, who's come as a blood clot. Indeed. Well, I've spent the afternoon skipping around the house going Beryl's red tent, which sounds to me like something <clears throat> very dodgy. Yeah. Fair play to the pair of them. They are both exemplary in their choice of wardrobe and yet just turn up effortlessly. And again, I'm sure the reveal was probably a lot more exciting for people who actually saw it happen. 
It has to be said, from this point, the show descends into beautiful chaos. More chaos. More chaos. Pre-empting punchlines by two years and yeah. you know, <laughs> 300 uh, lines on Lenny Bennett's forehead. Absolutely. The drinks have kicked right in now gotcha. and the lads team are very vocal. And you know what? I love this. What little formality there is with this show, usually, not the Christmas special, I mean, yeah. is completely abandoned. Yeah, correct. And You're watching st- this and you can smell the Harvey's Bristol cream and the brute aftershave. Yep. It is absolutely glorious, this. Both of those coming from D Davies. Yeah, you can see that that sort of tread sort of steaming up the cameras. Now, <laughs> Beryl comes on, and her first number is God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Uh-huh. Now, she literally is walking down the stairs, and she puts her hands together, and they say, Carol. Now, excuse me, I've watched Give Us a Clue and Christmas specials, and I've never seen that as being a Carol, but they <laughs> say it as she's putting her hands together. Fucking fix. Fix. Bastard fix. <laughs> And Claude gets it in eight fucking seconds. Fucking fix. I'm glad. I, there we go. See, he counted it as well. Claude comes in. Eight. Eight fucking seconds. Hashtag cheating. Eden Spike says it's not fair. Damn bloody right, mate. Yeah. Well, they get some help with their cheating because... Controversy. Michael Aspel catastrophically fucks the scoring up. <laughs> and the moral of this story is... Never let an ex-BBC newsreader be in charge of buttons. <laughs> His justification? It doesn't matter. It's Christmas, he says, hoping that others will share his casual approach to this. <laughs> Not a chance. Dickie Davis is up next. Yep. He gets Peter Pan and Wendy. Well, according that- to Spike, he gets Arsenal 1, Tottenham 2, <laughs> which I loved. <laughs> Now, in terms of literary works, this is not my area. Is Peter Pan and Wendy the name of a particular book? Yes. I know Peter Pan is, but Peter Pan and Wendy, this sounds like either a spin-off or a sequel or something. Anyway, it takes Lionel Blair 90 seconds to get this, and the buzzer doesn't go off. So you're like, the guy in charge of the buzzer's fallen asleep now, has he? Right. Which Lionel only gets thanks to Dickie's perfect mime of a kitchen utensil, something I bet Dickie Davis has never used but would probably like to on Spike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he even breaks the egg into the pan. That's right. He's good yeah, for yeah, it, yeah. Because yeah. And at this point, is another moment of quiet reflection, if you please, for Dickie Davies' meticulously polished Cuban heels. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's how he sits at all behind that desk. He basically moonwalked into position on the floor there. <laughs> Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Oh, do you know what? Over Christmas. Christmas Day. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to dress as Dickie Davis. Uh-huh. Good man. Uh-huh. And then sing that song, was it? She's got Dickie Davis eyes? That's the one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was, that, that was from a punk rock band in the 70s. 80s. Me, yeah. Beg your pardon. 80s. Una Stubbs yeah, gets yeah. up and does love in a cold climate. I mean, we are one step from the country wife here. Yes. <laughs> But Paula gets it, 12 seconds, 12 bloody seconds. She's yep. on fire. <laughs> Mind you, credit where it's due, straight after this, Lionel Blair is up. He's got a mime out the holly and the ivy. Oh, yeah. Russ Abbott gets this after five seconds, which is a fucking record for the programme. And I'm like, how? I thought it was Dickie Davies. I thought it was Dickie Davies as well. Oh, OK. 
There we go. It, it's clear to me that the girls play the game and Spike and Kenny arse about. So is there, is there a balance? You know, it's like yeah, yeah. one side puts the game first and comedy second and the other one puts the comedy first and the game second. But the thing is, seeing Dickie Davis and every time I saw him on screen reminded me of something I read fairly recently. Uh, do you remember when World of Sport used to open with the three planes flying yes. over and it was World of Sport? I mean, you've That's got to right. pity the man whose career highlight was flying a plane trilling the word of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Yeah, he'd be man. there Saturday afternoon pointing at the cell going, that's me, that. Which one? Yeah. Of. All oh, right. It's your round. <laughs> Here he comes. <laughs> yeah. Brian of. <laughs> <laughs> Brian of CBE to you. <laughs> <laughs> Collective buggers' efforts, and then the lovely Paula is back up with Lord of the Rings, isn't she? No, this should be easy for them, shouldn't it? This this feels like something that's inherently mimeable, and yet it takes them thirty-one seconds. I know. I would have gone straight for the ring thing, yeah. putting a ring on your finger. God Almighty! She had words, a bastard ring be? on her finger. She could have literally pointed to it, but Nairi gets it. Nairi gets it. If it's not Nairi her, it's Claude. Exactly. Exactly that. And then, and then it has to happen. Kenneth Williams gets up and, of bastard course, does a high wind in Jamaica. Again, I have no idea what this is. What's a high wind in Jamaica? It's a book, and I think they made a film out of it as well. Were well. all of these works, like, taken out in the yard and burned in 1980? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a second with the next okay. one. But okay. uh, Kenny's reaction says it all when uh, Lionel Blair gets it in eight seconds, as it were. Yeah. His reaction, he's actually getting excited about the game because they might catch up, and Spike hates it. All of a sudden, he sits right back, uh-huh. and it's just interesting because the next one is quite interesting on many, many levels. There's so much to unpack here, and that's Nairi Dawn Porter doing And a Nightingale Sang. Now, when I first saw this, I thought it was... I know the song is actually listed in the Performing Rights Society database as brackets, a nightingale sang, close brackets, in Barclay Square. Right, OK. So it should either be all or nothing, not what they're doing. Exactly. So it's And a Nightingale Sang, which is a play based on a book by C.P. Taylor. The play was made in 1989 uh, by Jack Rosenthal for Tine Tees, no less. But... Nairi Dawn Porter, OBE, gets up in front of her teammates and says that And a Nightingale Sang has five words. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Again, at this stage, it sort of feels like the minutiae of what they're talking about doesn't really matter. No one's paying attention there, it's, you know. <laughs> As Michael Aspel said earlier, it doesn't matter, it's Christmas. There's no fucking rules exactly. anymore. It's a party, fuck it. I think that's what he says on television. Yes. The only thing that was edited out of this semi-as-live thing was Michael Aspel saying, no cares. <laughs> uh-huh. And, uh, and as the director shouted after he said that, no c***s watching. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is why we cut to Spike Milligan just mouthing the words, I am no Yeah. Speaking of Spike, he's up next with Conduct and Unbecoming. What is that? Is that a, like a play, a novel? It's a book, I think. Kenneth knows it. 11 seconds. Bosh. Yeah. 
I, I couldn't even see what the fuck he was starting to mine. Kenneth was just like, Conrad will be coming? That's right, that's what I told you 30 seconds ago. Yes, correct, well remembered. Now, Claude Rogers, I think the brain is still functioning, the grog hasn't got to it yet. Right. Because she gets great expectations. And the first thing she does is stomp about like she's pregnant. Yeah, which, yeah. Which eludes everybody. Then yeah. she mimes grating some cheese or something, I don't know, her fingers or God knows what. I thought this was inspired, if I'm honest. Exactly. I totally bad. agree with you. Totally agree. And then pregnancy, great expectations. Yeah. Very yeah. clever. 15 seconds. Yeah, yeah it's Bye. a shame that it's only at the, this late stage of the game two people have actually worked out how to take it sort of slightly laterally. So Claude is doing that. Yeah. Then Russ Abbott gets Faulty Towers. Yeah. Yeah. And again, what Russ Abbott does for Faulty Towers is... Tell you what, rather than try and fucking mime each syllable, I'm just going to do an action which will tell what it is. Yeah. Yep. Dickie Davies dives in there, 15 seconds, kicks the windows in. Boom. Yes, with the second Nazi salute joke of the evening. Yes, yes. yes. Admittedly, yes. No wonder at this point, uh, Michael Aspel throws his cards in the air. Just doesn't give a frig. Yep. It just adds another level to the chaos and then proclaims, let's open the bags and see what we've bought for the children. Yes, the children. Yes, <laughs> the non-existent children. Why in the name of Krampus's temper are they all <laughs> opening the presents for the children? Are you getting their sherry-soaked hands all over the soft toys? I mean, I know they need an ending seg for the programme, but this makes no sense. Well, they sort of don't need it, that's the point. This is all crammed into the last 45 seconds. There is no time. Yeah. Can you pity the poor fucking editor who was all... Brian, 27 minutes. And he's like, there's four hours of footage? 27 minutes. Yeah. I have a small <laughs> sidebar here about unwrapping presents. Yeah. And, and it was jogged back into the fleshy tablets of my memory by Beryl Reed's reaction to unwrapping a stuffed dog and yeah. looking absolutely delighted not. <laughs> yeah. Ken, Kenneth Williams has a stive teddy bear. Claude Rogers had a Paddington bear, which was carefully kept out of shot. Almost. Uh-huh. Almost, uh-huh. yeah. Nairi Dawn Porter appeared to have Madeline from the doll from Bagpuss. Paula Yates had a Tonka tipper. Now, I had one of those, but I thought it was a bit masculine for her. And Spike got a dolly, but decided to make one last bid to be Spike Milligan and wear the wrapping paper. And Dickie, That's right. and Dickie Davis losing it is the last shot of the whole thing, which uh-huh. makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. I loved every minute of that. I really did. Me too. Bearing in mind how long this recording has taken, I will be delighted if our coverage of this programme comes close to double the actual length of it. Anyway, gentlemen, at the end of all of this, Mr Blackout, how many pegs will you place upon a scoreboard that's been rendered irrelevant due to the host's ineptitude? (sighs) Give Us a Clue is a rushed, unrehearsed cover version of a cosy classic. This festive edition is barely held together with the sellotape that's already been used to wrap Beryl Reed's voodoo llama, and is populated by people who don't know how the game works, people who can't wait through the chaos to play the game, and people who've stopped trying. Nine pegs, perfect. And, Mr Bognops, how many pegs will you clip to Beryl Reed's beautiful gold slingback sandals? And her tent. Controlled anarchy, a real melting pot of guests, and a game that isn't... Um, shrouded by daft hosts or dark, moody lights and music. Simpler times, more fun. Loved it. Nine pegs. Beautiful. Which only leaves... As I've said before, with this kind of show, 
It's glorious to watch the grown-ups get a little bit drunk and go on ridiculous at Christmas, and this episode is no exception. Everything we could possibly need. Complete Christmas fun. Nine pegs. Fantastic. Full house. But the question on every charade player's hands, Mr Blackout, is how many steps will it take you to mime the title... The Peggy Bounce Calamity Hour Christmas episode featuring Give Us a Clue, Up the Mountain. Well. This carousel of commotion features none other than Lionel Blair, who raised the roof in 1972's All-Star Comedy Carnival with... Peggy Mount. Now, does everybody understand the rules? Excellent work. Excellent, excellent. I thank you. I thank you. Mr. Bognops, what about yourself? It's a book playing a film. This cavalcade of chaos features none other than Paula Wilcox, who trod the boards in 1980's Night of 100 Stars with Peggy Mount. No, we are not playing a game. This is very serious. Very efficient. And that leaves us with Dr. Velvet. This carnival of confusion features none other than Michael Aspel, who flipped through the big red books of Bob Carroll G's and Shilly Bouchier, both of which in the company of... Who shall play Father Christmas? Excellent. Brilliant, brilliant, This brilliant, is what brilliant. we want. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Full house, three single steps. Can Good Lord. not be beaten. Absolutely. And that is indeed that. Right, I'm just off to swill out the backyard of the studios after this afternoon's visit from a paralytic drunk Humpty from play school resulted in wall-to-wall shit, sick and piss. In the meantime, <laughs> Blackout's got your socials. Yes, thank you once again for dropping around. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or we are PeggyMountPod on Twitter, Blue Sky, Facebook and Instagram. Five-star ratings are always welcome on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to us. Don't forget to go to PeggyManPod.com to check out the show notes for this and all of our other episodes and to click through to our online market store for that T-shirt, which would have been ideal for your Auntie Sheila before you just got her the M&S gin selection pack again. It's as simple as that. It really is. <laughs> Thanks again to Oswald Bognops Esquire. Thank you, and I only leave you with this word. Of. Brilliant. We'll be back in the kick of a snowman's tits. Until then... Keep The Peggy Man Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iCall Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments and television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Peggy